The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Hi there, and welcome to the Electric Vicuna Production Podcast, Episode 63, original audio drama from 15 years of productions. I'm Jack Ward. Tonight's show is a rare event, but I'm hoping it'll become less so. As you may know, my Clark Kent job is working as a high school English teacher. I have the great opportunity to read some of the best literature with my students. One of my favorite longer short stories I read with my grade 11 class is The Most Dangerous Game by Richard Connell. For a number of years, I considered how I might make this visual action-adventure story into an audio drama. I finally came up with this script that helps frame the story in a way that I hope will use the advantages of radio drama. Guy Earl leapt at the chance to play Sanger Rainsford, and Tom Lute stepped up for the role of General Zaroff. The rest of the cast was rounded out with our anchor, David Alt, playing Whitney, my lovely wife Ginny, playing the market girl, and the talented Mark Kilfoyle grunted and gurgled his way into the role of the mute and terrifying Ivan. So without further ado, let's listen to this adapted classic, The Most Dangerous Game, from Richard Connell. Stuck in traffic? Rushing through your days? Ache for some action in your life? Dream of a little adventure? Why not disappear from the mundane world and join us? Electric Vicuna Productions presents Action Adventure Audio Theater, an anthology series for thrills and heart-pounding action. Tonight's first tale is a classic from the pen of Richard Connell. We take you now to the marketplace in Enquitos, Peru, the gateway to the Amazon jungle. There, amidst the hustle and bustle of commerce, a sweating Englishman dressed for the hunt looks about anxiously. Fruta fresca, caballero americano? Muy fresca y saludable como comida de bebé. Uh, no, thank you. I, 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 I'm, I'm late. I'll blast this marketplace. It's a sea of people. Paraguas, entonces, para mantenerse seco en el lluvioso bosque, el jardín del Edén. Uh, what? No, no umbrellas, thank you. If this were the Garden of Eden, then we'd have less heat and more rain. Do you know where the guides are? Disculpe? Uh, oh, uh, sabe donde puedo encontrar al guía de la jungla? En la jungla? <laughs> of course. Of course I ask where the jungle guides can be found, and of course you'd say, in the jungle. Let me try again. Where are they in the marketplace? I was supposed to meet Juan Carlos here. Juan Carlos? The guide? Here. Juan Carlos? Yo no sé, pero aquí hay otro cazador. Another hunter? I wasn't aware of another jaguar hunter in town. Perhaps he'll know. Where is this hunter? Oh, what? Where is the foreign hunter? Él está allí. ¿Lo ves? En la cafetería. Él llegó anoche. He arrived last night. Where? By the cafe, you say? Uh, oh, he slumped in the corner. I must missed him. Uh, muchas gracias, señorita. ¿Necesita una habitación? Conozco un lugar muy limpio ah, so con agua. blasted hot. I should wait at least until morning before we go traipsing through the jungle. Coffee for you, sir? Ah, what luck. You speak English. Tell me, my good man, do you know anything of the hunter there in the corner? Do you know him, sir? I thought I knew all the hunters in Peru at this time, but I, I can't very well see him with that safari hat over his head and his face on the table. He's not dead, is he? Oh, certainly not, sir. Would you want a table of your own? Uh, no, thank you. Just bring me a glass of lemonade to the gentleman's table, if you will. As you wish, sir. Uh, good afternoon, sir. Do you mind if I... Good God, Sanger! Sanger Rainsford! What? Great ghosts, man, you're as white as a sheet. 
Do you have malaria? No, no malaria. And you're so thin. What happened to you? I thought you were lost aboard the yacht. Steamer? Captain Nielsen, the goater. Do you remember? Whitney? Yes, Sanger, it's your friend Whitney. Uh, waiter, bring this man some stew. No, no. I'm not hungry. The devil you aren't. You're as tattered as your clothes. They make good stew here, fresh meat. Meat? Oh, no. Just rest, old man. Stew, sir. Anything else? A, a snifter of port or whatever suffices for decent libation. Very good, sir. Come now, man. Pick up that spoon. I won't take no for an answer. Very well. You must tell me what's happened to you, Sanger. We looked all over the ship for you in the morning. <coughs> take your time. I, I, um, I... Relax. Eat for a moment. I'm just so surprised to see you. We were on the yacht, coursing through the Caribbean. It was blasted hot that night. A different kind of hot, thick as this Turkish coffee, and so dark. Off there to the right, somewhere, is a large island. It's rather a mystery. What island is it? The old charts call it Ship Trap Island. <laughs> a suggestive name, isn't it? Sailors have a curious dread of the place. I don't know why. Some superstition. I, I, I can't see it. <laughs> you good eyes. And I've seen you pick off a moose moving in the brown fall brush at 400 yards. But even you can't see four miles or so through a moonless Caribbean night. Nor four yards. Ah, it, it's like moist black velvet. It'll be light enough in Rio. We should make it in a few days. We should. From there, we can make our way to Iquitos, Peru, and the deepest part of the Amazonian basin. I hope the Jaguar guns have come from Purdy's. We should have some good hunting up the Amazon. Oh, great sport, hunting. The best sport in the world. <laughs> For the hunter, not the Jaguar. Don't talk rot, Whitney. You're a big game hunter, not a philosopher. Who cares how a Jaguar feels? <sighs> Perhaps the Jaguar does. <laughs> They have no understanding. Even so, I rather think they understand one thing. Fear. The fear of pain and the fear of death. Nonsense. This hot weather is making you soft, Whitney. Be a realist. The world is made up of two classes. The hunters and the huntees. You and I are hunters. Do you think we've passed that island yet? I can't tell in the dark. I hope so. Why? This place has a reputation. A bad one. Cannibals? Oh, hardly. Even cannibals wouldn't live in such a godforsaken place. But it's gotten into sailor lore somehow. Didn't you notice that the crew's nerves seemed a bit jumpy today? They were a bit strange now that you mention it. Even Captain Nielsen? Yes, even that tough-minded old Swede who'd go up to the devil himself and ask him for a light. <laughs> Those fishy blue eyes held a look I never saw before. All I could get out of him was, This place has an evil name among seafaring men, sir. <laughs> then he said to me very gravely, Don't you feel anything? As if the air about us was actually poisonous. Now, you mustn't laugh when I tell you this. I did feel something like a sudden chill. Pure imagination. One superstitious sailor can taint the whole ship's company with his fear. Maybe. Maybe. But sometimes I think sailors have an extra sense that tells them when they're in danger. Sometimes I think evil is a tangible thing with wavelengths just like sound and light. An evil place can broadcast vibrations of evil. Anyhow, I'm glad we're getting out of this zone. Well, I think I'll turn in now, Rainsford. Well, I'm not sleepy, and the smell of your tobacco has given me a hankering. I'm going to smoke another pipe up in the afterdeck before turning in, I think. Good night, then, Rainsford. See you at breakfast. Right. Good night, Whitney. And that's when I last saw you, Sanger. What happened? I fell overboard. Come now, man. You've had your sea legs before. I assure you, Whitney, beneath this dirty exterior, I'm unabashedly shamefaced. Well, don't leave me in suspense, man. Tell me what happened. I warn you, 
You'll not believe it. I swear as an Englishman... I wouldn't believe it myself had I not lived it. So, drink your port. Courage, man, courage. You, you were right. The last time I saw you was aboard the yacht. Walking down the steps for the night. There was no sound that night, save for the muffled throb of the engine that drove the ship swiftly through the darkness, and the swish and ripple of the wash of the propeller. I was reclining in a steamer chair. I had just lit and was puffing on my favorite briar. The night was thick and black. I remember thinking, it's so dark, I could sleep without closing my eyes. The night would be my eyelids. And that's when I first heard it. Abrupt, but unmistakable. Somewhere off in the night, someone had fired a gun three times. I jumped up and moved quickly to the rail, mystified. I strained my eyes in the direction from which the reports had come, but it was like trying to see through a blanket. I leapt upon the rail and balanced there, but my pipe struck one of the guidelines and was knocked from my mouth. Damn! I lunged for the cursed thing, too late realizing I had reached too far and lost my balance. Any cry from my throat was pinched off short as the blood-warm waters of the Caribbean Sea dozed over my head. surface of the wash from the speeding yacht slapped my face. The salt water gagged and strangled me. Desperately, I struck out with strong strokes after the receding lights of the yacht, but I stopped after I made about 50 feet. The panic had left me. The chances of someone hearing my shouts grew more slender as the yacht raced on. I wrestled out of my clothes and shouted with all my power. The lights of the yacht became faint like ever-vanishing fireflies. Then... They were blotted out entirely by the night. I was totally alone upon the thick water. I had to make a decision. I remember the shots. They had come from the right, and I doggedly swam in that direction. Slow, deliberate strokes. I had to conserve my strength. For seemingly endless time, I fought the sea. I began to count my strokes. I could manage possibly a hundred more, and then... It came out of the darkness. A scream, the sound of an animal in an extremity of anguish and terror. I didn't recognize the animal. I honed in on its sound and swam towards it. It sounded again, that unearthly scream. But this time it was cut short by the crisp staccato shot of a pistol. Without options, I swam on, desperate for land. I swam for a good ten more minutes before I began to hear the sound of waves against the shore. With all my strength, I swam in the pitch black until I crashed onto the jagged rocks. On a less calm night, I'm sure I would have been shattered against them. With what remaining strength I had left, I dragged myself from the swirling waters. The cliff in front of me was all jagged crags jutting up into the darkness. I forced myself upward, hand over hand. My palms and fingers were raw and bleeding when I finally reached the top. I spent a long time just laying on my back, staring through the swollen, dense jungle. What, what perils the tangle of trees and underbrush might hold did not concern me just then. All I knew was that I was safe from my enemy, the sea. Utter wariness, uh, another enemy dragged at me, and I fell into the deepest sleep of my life. When I opened my eyes, the position of the sun told me it was late in the afternoon. Sleep had given me new vigor, but a sharp hunger picked at me. I was certain that 
Where there were pistol shots, there must be men, and where there were men, there was food. But what kind of men in such forbidding a place? I saw no sign of a trail through the closely knit web of weeds and trees. It was easier to hike along the shore. I am no novice in the wilderness, and I found by the evidence a place where some wounded large animal had thrashed about in the underbrush. The jungle weeds were crushed. The moss was lacerated. One patch of weeds was stained crimson. I discovered a small glittering object not far away. I picked it up. It was an emptied cartridge from a twenty-two. The hunter certainly had his nerve to tackle a fairly large animal with such a light gun. It's clear that the brute put up a fight. I suppose the first three shots... I had heard flush the quarry into the open and wounded it. The last shot must have been when the hunter trailed his prey here and finished it. I examined the ground closely and found what I had hoped to find, the print of hunting boots pointing along the cliff in the direction I had been wandering. I eagerly hurried along, slipping on a rotten log or loose stone, but still made headway. Night settled down on the island. The darkness blacked out the sea and jungle when I sighted the lights. I turned a crook in the coastline along my path and thought it was a village, for there were many lights. But as I forged along, to my great astonishment, I discovered that all the lights were in one enormous building, a lofty structure with pointed towers plunging upward into the gloom, a palatial chateau set on a high bluff. Three sides of it, Cliffs dived down to where the sea licked greedy lips in the shadows. My first thought was that it was a mirage, but it was no phantom. The spiked iron gates curtaining the grounds, the stone steps, the massive door with a leering gargoyle door knocker were all real enough. But it was such a bastion of civility, starkly contrast against the wilderness, that above it all hung an air of unreality. The sound of the knocker startled me. I thought I heard footsteps within, but nothing. I let the knocker fell twice, and then... Bright golden light spilled from within, but the first thing I saw was the largest man I had ever seen. A gigantic creature, solidly made and black-bearded to the waist. In his hand, he held a long-barreled revolver pointed straight at my heart. Two beady eyes glaring at me. He was dressed in uniform, black, trimmed with gray astrakhan. Uh, don't be alarmed. I'm no robber. I fell off a yacht. My name is Sanger Rainsford of New York City. I'm Sanger Rainsford of New York. I fell off a yacht. I'm hungry. Ivan! Coming down the broad marble steps strode an erect, slender man in evening clothes. He ignored the huge doorman and held his hand out to me. It is a very great pleasure and honor to welcome Mr. Sanger Rainsford, the celebrated hunter, to my home. Sir? I have read your book about hunting snow leopards in Tibet, you see. I am General Zaroff. I do admit, upon the very first impression, Zaroff was singularly handsome. But at second glance, there was this original, almost bizarre quality about his face. He was a tall man, although we were both dwarfed by Ivan. He was past middle age, his hair was a vivid white, but his thick eyebrows and pointed military mustache were as black as the night from which I had arrived. His eyes, too, were black and very bright. He had high cheekbones, a sharp nose, a spare, dark face, the face of a man used to giving orders, the face of an aristocrat. Turning to the giant in uniform, the general made a sign. The giant put away his pistol, saluted, and withdrew. Ivan is an incredibly strong fellow, but he has the misfortune to be deaf and dumb. A simple fellow, but I'm afraid, like all his race, a bit of a savage. Is he Russian? He is a Cossack. So am I. Come, we shouldn't be chatting here. We can talk later. Now you'll want clothes, food, rest. You shall have them. 
This is a most restful spot. <laughs> ah, you'll have to excuse Ivan and I, Mr. Rainsford. Uh, what's that? We've developed quite a shorthand lip-reading in Russian. At times I forget I'm not speaking aloud. Not at all, General. I apologize for my state in coming here unannounced, if I only... More on that later, Mr. Rainsford. For now, follow Ivan, if you please. I was about to have my dinner when you arrived. I'll wait for you. You'll find that my clothes will fit you, I think. <laughs> very, very well. It was to a huge beam ceiling bedroom with a canopy bed big enough for six men. Ivan laid out an evening suit. I noticed that it came from a London tailor who ordinarily cut and sewed for none below the rank of Duke. The dining room to which Ivan conducted me was in many ways remarkable. There was a medieval magnificence about it. It suggested a baronial hall of feudal times with its oaken panels, its high ceilings, its vast refectory tables where two score men could sit down to eat. About the hall were mounted heads of many animals, lions, tigers, elephants, moose, bears, Larger or more perfect specimens I have never seen. At the great table, the general was sitting alone. You'll have a cocktail, Mr. Rainsford. Thank you, General. You're too kind. Nonsense. I hope you will find everything to your liking. Ivan, the borscht, please. <clears throat> we do our best to preserve the amenities of civilization here. Please forgive any lapses. We are well off the beaten track, you know. Incredible, General. The table appointments alone are of the finest order. Everything from the linen to the silver crystal and china are all the highest quality. I'm so grateful you are pleased. Oh, Ivan has returned. You'll forgive the call to my childhood palate. Russians so dearly love our borscht. Rich and red as blood, but the hardest, of course, was getting the whipped cream. Almost as difficult as the champagne. Do you think it has suffered from the long ocean trip? Huh. Not in the least. Perhaps you were surprised that I recognized your name. You see, I read all books on hunting published in English, French, and Russian. I have but one passion in my life, Mr. Rainsford, and it is the hunt. I've noticed your fine collection on the walls. You have some wonderful heads here. What, what is this, steak? Filet mignon. Ivan is an accomplished cook, amongst other things. I hope you like your meat well done. Mm, certainly. That Cape Buffalo head is uh, one of the largest I've ever seen. Oh, that fellow. Yes, he was a monster. Hmm. Did he charge you? Hurled me against a tree. Fractured my skull. But I got the brute. I've always thought that the Cape Buffalo is the most dangerous of all big game. No. You are wrong, sir. The buffalo is not the most dangerous game. Here in my preserve on this island, I hunt more dangerous game. Is, is there big game on this island? The biggest. Really? Oh, it isn't here naturally, of course. I have to stock the island. What have you imported, General? Tigers? No. Hunting tigers ceased to interest me some years ago. I exhausted their possibilities, you see. No thrill left in tigers, no real danger. I live for danger, Mr. Rainsford. Would you care for a cigarette? They are a rare run of Palmal Blacks that I have cultivated somewhat a taste for. Thank you, General. That's quite a good case you keep them in. Sure you, it is more of a keepsake from the royal family instead of pure vanity. Uh, Ivan, please light Mr. Rainford's cigarette. <laughs> we will have capital hunting, you and I. I shall be most glad to have your society. Quite strong tobacco. It bites back. 
Indeed it does. What is the game? I'll tell you. You will be amused, I know. I think I may say, in all modesty, that I have done a rare thing. I have invented a new sensation. May I pour you another glass of port? Thank you, General. God makes some men poets. Some he makes kings, some beggars. Me, he made a hunter. My hand was made for the trigger, my father said. He was a very rich man with a quarter of a million acres in the Crimea, and he was an ardent sportsman. When I was only five years old, he gave me a little gun, specially made in Moscow for me to shoot sparrows with. When I shot some of his prized turkeys with it, he did not punish me. He complimented me on my marksmanship. I killed my first bear in the Caucasus when I was ten. My whole life has been one prolonged hunt. I went into the army. It was expected of noblemen's sons, and for a time commanded a division of Cossack cavalry, but my real interest was always the hunt. I have hunted every kind of game in every land. It would be impossible for me to tell you how many animals I have killed. After the debacle in Russia, I left the country, for it was imprudent for an officer of the Tsar to stay there. Many noble Russians lost everything. I luckily had invested heavily in American securities, so I shall never have to open a tea room in Monte Carlo or drive a taxi in Paris. Naturally, I continued to hunt grizzlies in your Rockies, crocodiles in the Ganges, rhinoceroses in East Africa. It was in Africa that the Cape Buffalo hit me and laid me up for six months. As soon as I recovered, I started for the Amazon to hunt jaguars, for I had heard they were unusually cunning. They weren't. They were no match at all for a hunter with his wits about him and a high-powered rifle. I was bitterly disappointed. I was lying in my tent with a splitting headache one night when a terrible thought pushed its way into my mind. Hunting was beginning to bore me, and hunting, remember, had been my life. I have heard that in America, businessmen often go to pieces when they give up the business that has been their life. Yes, that, that's so. I had no wish to go to pieces. I must do something. Now, mine is an analytical mind, Mr. Rainsford. Doubtless that is why I enjoy the problems of the chase. <laughs> no doubt, General Zarov. So, I asked myself why the hunt no longer fascinated me. You are much younger than I am, Mr. Rainsford, and have not hunted as much, but you can perhaps guess the answer. What was it? Simply this. Hunting had ceased to be what you call a sporting proposition. It had become too easy. I always got my quarry. Always. There is no greater bore than perfection. No animal had a chance with me anymore. That is no boast. It is a mathematical certainty. The animal had nothing but his legs and his instinct. Instinct is no match for reason. When I thought of this, it was a tragic moment for me, I can tell you. An existential moment. Mm, indeed. It came to me as an inspiration, what I must do. Oh, and that was? I had to invent a new animal to hunt. A, a new animal? You're joking. Not at all. I never joke about hunting. I needed a new animal. I found one. So, I bought this island, built this house, and here I do my hunting. The island is perfect for my purposes. There are jungles with a maze of traits in them, hills, swamps. But the animal, General Zarov. It supplies me with the most exciting hunting in the world. No other hunting compares with it for an instant. Every day I hunt, and I never grow bored now, for I have a quarry with which I can match my wits. But I wanted the perfect animal to hunt. So I said, what are the attributes of an ideal quarry? And the answer was, of course, it must have courage, cunning, and above all, it must be able to reason. Ah, yes, but no animal can reason. My dear fellow, 
There is one that can. But you can't mean... And why not? I, I can't believe you're serious, General Zara. This is a grisly joke. Why should I not be serious? I am speaking of hunting. Hunting? Great guns, General Zara. What you're speaking of is murder. Oh, I refuse to believe that so modern and civilized a young man as you seem to be harbors romantic ideas about the value of human life. Surely your experiences in the war... Didn't make me condone cold-blooded murder. <laughs> How extraordinarily droll you are. One does not expect nowadays to find a young man of the educated class, even in America, with such a naive and, if I may say so, mid-Victorian point of view. It's like finding a snuffbox in a limousine. Ah, well, doubtless you had Puritan ancestors, like so many Americans. I'll wager you'll forget your notions when you go hunting with me. You've a genuine new thrill in store for you, Mr. Rainsford. Thank you. I'm a hunter, not a murderer. Dear me. Again, that unpleasant word. But I think I can show you that your scruples are quite ill-founded. Yeah? Life is for the strong, Mr. Rainsford. To be lived by the strong, and if needs be, taken by the strong. The weak of the world were put here to give the strong pleasure. I am strong. Why should I not use my gift? If I wish to hunt, why should I not? I hunt the scum of the earth. Sailors from tramp ships, lassars, blacks, Chinese, fights, mongrels. A thoroughbred horse or hound is worth more than a score of them. But they are men. Precisely. That is why I use them. It gives me pleasure. They can reason after a fashion. So, they are dangerous. Where do you get them? This island is called Ship Trap. Sometimes an angry god of the high seas sends them to me. Sometimes when Providence is not so kind, I help Providence a bit. Come to the window with me. Watch. Out there as I flip this electric switch by the window. There's only blackness. Oh, there. A series of lights flashing. <laughs> they indicate a channel where there's none. Giant rocks with razor edges crouch like a sea monster with wide open jaws. They can crush a ship as easily as I crush this nut. Oh, yes. I have electricity. We try to be civilized. Civilized? And you shoot down men. Dear me, what a righteous young man you are. <laughs> I assure you I do not do the thing you suggest. That would be barbarous. I treat these visitors with every consideration. They get plenty of good food and exercise. They get into splendid physical condition. You shall see for yourself tomorrow. What do you mean? We'll visit my training school. It's in the cellar. I have about a dozen pupils down there now. They're from the Spanish bark San Lucar that had the bad luck to go on the rocks out there. A very inferior lot, I regret to say. Poor specimens and more accustomed to the deck than to the jungle. Ivan has brought us some Turkish coffee, shall we? It's a game, you see. I suggest to one of them that we go hunting. I give him a supply of food and an excellent hunting knife. I give him three hours start. I am to follow, armed only with a pistol of the smallest caliber and range. If my quarry eludes me for three whole days, he wins the game. If I find him, he loses. Yeah, suppose he refuses to be hunted. Oh. I give him this option, of course. He need not play that game if he doesn't wish to. If he does not wish to hunt, I turn him over to Ivan. Ivan once had the honor of serving as official nauter, someone who beats captives, criminals. I'm well aware of what a nauter does. Well, Ivan had the privilege to work for the great white czar, and he has his own ideas of sport. Invariably, they choose the hunt. And if they win? Hmm. To date, I have not lost. I don't wish you to think me a braggart, Mr. Rainford. Many of them afford only the most elementary sort of problem. Occasionally, I strike a tartar. One almost did win. 
I eventually had to use the dogs. The dogs? Hmm, this way, please. I'll show you. You can see them better on the other side of the shuttle. There. From this distance, the lamps can make quite grotesque shadows on the courtyard, but do you see them below? Y yes, yes, there's several... Fourteen, actually. Good dog. They're huge beasts. A rather strong lot, I think. They are let out at seven every night. <clears throat> if anyone should try to get into my house or out of it, something extremely regrettable would occur to him. And now, I want to show you my new collection of heads. Will you come with me to the library? I, ho I hope that you will excuse me tonight, General Zaroff. I'm not feeling well. <clears throat> ah, indeed. Hmm. Well, I suppose that's only natural after your long swim. You need a good, restful night's sleep. Tomorrow, you'll feel like a new man, I'll wager. Then we'll hunt, eh? I have one rather promising prospect. Uh, good night, then. Sorry you can't go with me tonight. Expect rather fair sport. A big, strong black. He looks resourceful. Well, good night, Mr. Rainsford. I hope you have a good night's rest. The bed was good, and the pajamas of the softest silk, and I was tired in every fiber of my being but I couldn't quiet my brain to sleep. I lay eyes wide open imagining the grisly room of heads that Zaroff was eager to show me. Once I thought I heard someone in the corridor outside my room, but try as I might, the door wouldn't open. I looked out my window. My room was high up in one of the towers. The lights of the chateau were out now and it was dark and silent but there was a fragment of a sallow moon, and by its waning light I could see, dimly, the courtyard. There, weaving in and out in the pattern of shadow, were black, noiseless forms. The hounds heard the window and looked up expectantly with their green eyes. I went back to the bed and laid down. By many methods I tried to pull myself to sleep. I achieved a doze when, just as morning began to come, I heard far off in the jungle the faint report. General Zaroff did not appear until luncheon. He was dressed flawlessly in the tweeds of a country squire. Mr. Rainsford, I do hope you are feeling better today. I, I am fine, General. Uh, as for me, I do not feel so well. I am worried, Mr. Rainsford. Last night I detected traces of my old complaint. Complaint? Ennui. Boredom. Ah, just in time. Crepe Zuzette. You will join me for a late breakfast, Rainsford. The hunting was not good last night. The fellow lost his head. He made a straight trail that offered no problems at all. That's the trouble with these sailors. They have dull brains to begin with, and they do not know how to get about in the woods. They do excessively stupid and obvious things. It's most annoying. Will you have another glass of Chablis, Mr. Rainsford? General, I wish to leave this island at once. But, my dear fellow, you've only just come. You've had no hunting. I wish to go today. Tonight, we will hunt. You and I. No, General. I will not hunt. As you wish, my friend. The choice rests entirely with you. But may I not venture to suggest that you will find my idea of sport more diverting than Ivan's? You, you don't mean... Sit, Ivan. Mr. Rainsford is merely examining his options. My dear fellow, have I not told you I always mean what I say about hunting? This is really an inspiration. I drink to a foeman worthy of my steel at last. You'll find this game worth playing. 
Your brain against mine, your woodcraft against mine, your strength and stamina against mine, outdoor chess, and the stake is not without value, eh? And if I win? I'll cheerfully acknowledge myself defeat if I do not find you by midnight of the third day. My sloop will place you on the mainland near a town. Oh, you can trust me. I will give you my word as a gentleman and a sportsman. Of course, you, in turn, must agree to say nothing of your visit here. I'll agree to nothing of the kind. Oh, well, in that case. But why discuss that now? Three days hence we can discuss it over a bottle of Bouve Clique, unless... Ivan! Ivan will supply you with hunting clothes, food, a knife. I suggest you wear moccasins. They leave a poorer trail. I suggest, too, that you avoid the big swamp in the southeast corner of the island. We call it Death Swamp. There's quicksand there. One foolish fellow tried it. The deplorable part of it was that Lazarus followed him. You can imagine my feelings, Mr. Rainsford. I loved Lazarus. He was the finest hound in my pack. I beg you to excuse me now. I always take a siesta after lunch. You'll hardly have time for a nap, I fear. You'll want to start, no doubt. I shall not follow till dusk. Hunting at night is so much more exciting than by day, don't you think? Au revoir, Mr. Rainsford. Au revoir. From another door came Ivan. Under one arm, he carried khaki hunting clothes, a haversack of food, a leather sheath containing a long-bladed hunting knife. His right hand rested on a cocked revolver thrust in the crimson sash about his waist. He carefully marched me outside. I wasn't entirely clear-headed when I first fled the chateau. The whole idea was to put distance between myself and General Zaroff, and to this end, I plunged along, spurred on by the sharp rowers of something very like panic. When I'd gotten a grip, I stopped and took stock of myself in the situation. Straight flight was futile. Inevitably, it would bring me face to face with the sea. I was in a pitcher with a frame of water, and my actions must take place within that frame. <laughs> I'll give him a trail to follow. I struck off from the rude path I had followed into the trackless wilderness. I executed a series of intricate loops, doubled on my trail again and again, recalling all the lore of a fox hunt and all the dodges of the fox. By night I was leg-weary, my hands and face lashed by the branches on a thickly wooded ridge. I knew it'd be insane to blunder on through the dark, even if I had the strength. I need a rest. I have played the fox, now I must play the cat of the fable. I climbed up a big tree with a thick trunk and taking care to leave not the slightest mark. I stretched out on one of the broad limbs. Rest brought new confidence and almost a feeling of security. Surely even so zealous a hunter, General Zarov couldn't trace me down. I was convinced. Only the devil himself could follow that complicated trail through the jungle after dark. An apprehensive night crawled slowly by like a wounded snake, and sleep did not visit me, although the jungle echoed the silence of a dead world. Toward morning, when a dingy gray varnished the sky, I was alerted. The startled cry of the bird focused my attention. Something was coming through the bush. Coming slowly, carefully. Coming by the same winding way I had last night. I flattened down on the limb and through a screen of leaves almost as thick as tapestry I watched. The figure coming through the underbrush was a man. It was General Zarov. A Cossack hunter made his way along, eyes fixed in an utmost concentration on the ground before him. He paused beneath me, dropped to his knees and studied the ground. My muscles ached, clinging silently to that limb. 
Every impulse I had screamed to hurl myself down like a panther upon him, but I dare not. The general's right hand held tightly to a small but lethal automatic pistol. I held my breath as Zaroff shook his head several times, as if he were puzzled. He straightened up and took from his case one of his black cigarettes. The wind died again, and the pungent incense-like smoke floated up the trunk to my nostrils. It burned my lungs. The general's eyes had left the ground and was traveling inch by inch up the tree. I froze. Zarov's sharp eyes stopped before they reached the limb where I lay. Hmm. He smiled, whistled a tune, very deliberately blew a smoke ring into the air. And then that Cossack general turned his back <laughs> and walked carelessly away, back along the trail he'd come. <sighs> I breathed normally, only after the swish of his hunting boots grew faint. My first thought made me sick and numb. The general could follow a trail through the woods at night. An extremely difficult trail. Zarov must have uncanny powers. Only by the merest chance had he failed to see me. At least... That was my first thought. My second was even more terrible. A shudder of cold horror tore through my whole being. Why had the general smiled? Why had he walked away? I didn't want to believe what reason told me was true, but the truth was as evident as the sun that now pushed through the morning mists. The general was playing with me, saving me for another day's sport. The Cossack was the cat. I was the mouse. It was then... I knew the full meaning of terror. I will not lose my nerve. I will not. I struck off again into the woods, forcing the machinery of my mind to function. 300 yards from my hiding place, I found a huge dead tree that leaned precariously on a smaller living one. Throwing off my sack of food, I drew my knife from its sheath and began to work with all my energy, hopeful that I might yet survive this hunt. The job was finished at last. I threw myself down behind a fallen log a hundred feet away. I didn't have to wait long. The cat was coming again to play with the mouse. Following the trail with the sureness of a bloodhound came General Zarov. Nothing escaped those searching black eyes. No crushed blade of grass, no bent twig, no mark, no matter how faint in the moss. So intent was the Cossack on stalking me that he was upon the thing I had made before he saw it. I held my breath. His foot had touched the protruding bow that was the trigger. But while the trap had worked, Zarov was faster and leapt back. He staggered but did not fall, nor did he drop his revolver. <laughs> Rainsford, if you are within sound of my voice, as I suppose you are, let me congratulate you. Not many men know how to make a Malay man-catcher. Luckily for me, I too have hunted in Malacca, and so I have only a sore shoulder from your pains. <laughs> you are proving interesting, Mr. Rainsford. I am going now to have my wound dressed, but I shall be back. I shall be back. Ha 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 ha!
took up flight again, but that's what it was. A desperate, hopeless flight that carried me for some hours. Dusk came, then darkness, and I still pressed on. The ground grew softer under my moccasins, the vegetation grew ranker, denser. Insects bit at me savagely. Then, my foot sunk into the ooze. I tried to wrench it back, but the muck sucked viciously at my foot as if it were a giant leech. With a violent effort, I tore myself loose. I knew where I was now. Death Swamp. As I scrambled up from the ground, the softness of the earth gave me an idea. I stepped back from the quicksand a dozen feet or so, and like some huge prehistoric beaver, I began to dig. I had dug myself in, in France, when a second's delay meant death. That was a placid pastime compared to my digging now. The pit grew deeper. When it was above my shoulders, I climbed out from some hard saplings, cut stakes and sharpened them to a fine point. I planted the stakes in the bottom of the pit, points sticking up. Desperately, with flying fingers, I wove a rough carpet of weeds and branches and covered the mouth of the pit. Then, wet with sweat and aching with tiredness, I crouched behind the stump of a lightning-charred tree. I knew my pursuer was coming. I heard the padding sound of feet on the soft earth. The night breeze brought the perfume of the general's cigarette. It seemed to me that Zaroff was coming with unusual swiftness. He didn't feel his way along anymore. Was he so certain he had cornered me in that swamp? I crouched there, not seeing the general, nor could I see the pit. I lived a year in that minute. I heard the sharp scream of pain as the pointed stakes found their mark. I leapt from my place of concealment, but cowered back again, not daring to breathe in the inky blackness. Three feet from the pit, a man was standing with an electric torch in his hand. You've done well, Rainsford. Your Burmese tiger pit has claimed one of my best dogs. Again, you score. I think, Mr. Rainsford, I think I'll see what you can do against my whole pack. I'm going home for a rest now. Thank you for a most amusing evening. If Zaroff had only wished to look about him, inky darkness or not, he would have finished me. I was too weak from digging all day to flee. I'd only wished to close my eyes to rest. I woke with a start by a sound that told me I had new things to learn about fear. A pack of hounds. The general was not patient to wait for night any longer. It was daybreak, and while their howls were distant, I knew they would be on me soon. I could do one of two things. Stay where I was and wait. That was suicide. Or I could flee. That was postponing the inevitable. I stood there for a moment, thinking. An idea, no. A wild chance came to me, and I headed away from the swamp. On a ridge, I climbed a tree, peering out through the flares of sunlight breaking between the canopy of leaves. Down a watercourse, not a quarter of a mile away, I could see the bush moving. Straining my eyes, I saw the lean figure of General Zarov. Just ahead of him, I could make out another figure, whose wide shoulders surged through the tall jungle weeds. It was the giant Ivan pulled forward by some unseen force. Ivan had to be holding the pack and leash. I knew they'd be on me any minute now. My mind worked frantically. I thought of a native trick I learned in Uganda. I caught a hold of a spring young sapling, used a bit of wild grapevine to fasten my hunting knife to it. The blade pointed down the trail. With another handful of vine, I tied back the sapling. I ran for my life. The hounds raised a yelp as they hit the fresh scent. 
I know now how an animal at bay feels. I had to catch my breath. The baying of the hound stopped abruptly, and my heart stopped too. They must have reached the knife. I shinned up a tree and looked back. My pursuers had stopped, but all hope died. For I could see in the shallow valley, General Zaroff. The hunter was still on his feet, but Ivan was not. The knife driven by the recoil of the springing tree hadn't completely failed. Nerve! 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 As I ran, the devil at my heels, a blue gap showed between the trees dead ahead. Ever nearer drew the hounds. I reached the gap. It was a cliff top. Twenty feet below, the sea rumbled and hissed. Across a cove, I could see the gloomy gray stone of the chateau. I hesitated, with the hounds tearing the underbrush behind me. Then, I leaped far out into the sea. man. You can't be telling me that you swam away. <laughs> no. No, of course not. But Zaroff, what did he do? I had missed the rocks, of course. My aim was true, and the water somewhat revived me. I can only guess that that Cossack general looked down from his perch for any sign of life. I can imagine Zaroff sitting down amidst his prized hounds, drinking his brandy from his gold flask, lighting cigarettes, humming Madame Butterfly. I'm certain Zaroff had to make his own dinner that night. I can imagine he prepared an exceedingly good feast for himself in his great paneled dining hall that evening. I had found out later he had had a bottle of Paul Roger and half a bottle of Chambertin. Knowing the general, two slight annoyances would have spoiled any complete enjoyment. Certainly it would be difficult to replace Ivan, and of course I, his quarry, had escaped him. Thick eyebrows knitted together, he'd grumbled to himself that I hadn't played the game as he sampled his after-dinner liqueur. He had left the works of Marcus Aurelius out in the library, no doubt trying to soothe himself with the ideals of stoicism in an unyielding world. The general made his way up to his bedroom at ten, locked himself into the gloom, for there was little moonlight. Before turning on his light, he went to the window and looked down at the courtyard. Better luck another time. I turned on the light and stepped out from behind the curtains of his bed where I hid. In my hand was one of the swords he displayed on the wall. Rainsford! How in God's name did you get here? Swam. I found it quicker than walking through the jungle. I congratulate you. You have won the game. There's no need for fencing sports now. Oh no. I am still a beast at bay. Get ready, General Zaroff. I see. Splendid. Very sporting of you to leave me a sword. One of us is to furnish a repast for the hounds. The other will sleep in this very excellent bed. On guard, Rainsford. never slept in a better bed before or since. Oh. <laughs> what an astounding story. Had I not been privy to the beginning of it, I would never... Excuse me, sir. Uh, yes, what is it? Your, your guide is at the gate, sir. He awaits your pleasure for the hunt. Um, uh, yes. Uh, well, 
I suppose you ought to be going, then. Yes. Well, uh, waiter. Yes, sir. Please send the guide away, but give him this first. That's very generous of you, sir. Yes, well, I'm sure he won't mind being paid for his trouble. Very well. I I thought you were bound for the hunt. Well, I, I think I've done enough hunting in my lifetime. And you? Do you remember asking me how the prey feels? Yes. Yes, I believe I do. There's one thing for certain. And that is? The best feeling the prey has is when they are wily enough to get away. (laughs) Hear, hear. To confounding hunters everywhere. Cheers. Sanger, Rainsford, and Archibald Whitney have had more than their share of adventure. Perhaps they will operate a tea room in Monte Carlo, or drive a taxi in Paris. Whatever their fates, they stalk prey no longer. For once you've traveled in the skin of another, you're forever changed. As we hope you, dear listener, are changed by this tale. Join us again next time. When you need a break from the everyday, tune in to Action Adventure Audio Theater. Tonight's episode, The Most Dangerous Game, was written by Richard Connell and was adapted for action-adventure audio theater by Jack J. Ward. It starred Guy Earle as Sanger Rainsford, David Alt as Archibald Whitney, and Tom Lute as both General Zaroff and the Cafe Waiter. Virginia Ward was the market girl, and Ivan was performed by Mark Kilfoyle. Production by Scott Mosher, direction by Jack Ward, and musical production by Sharon B. Action Adventure Audio Theater was recorded in the EVP studio on Broadway in sunny Nova Scotia. I'm your announcer, Jack Ward. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. When I thought about placing the most dangerous game, I realized none of my previous anthology series would be right. It's not a science fiction show, so Wavefront wouldn't work. It's not a mystery horror series, so it couldn't be the deadline, and it simply doesn't have the magical horror thriller tone needed for the Darker Musings anthology. So inspired by the classic OTR series Escape, I dreamed up action-adventure audio theater. I hope to have more action stories to put in that series as time goes by. And as time goes by now, I hope you'll join us next month for another original episode. This one fits nicely into the wavefront and carries more F-bombs than an overloaded Boeing flying fortress over Nazi territory. Until then, be prepared for my take on a Bill Hallwig-style pulp B-flick sci-fi episode. Hopefully, a new modern-day classic. Thanks for listening. I'm Jack Ward. Good night. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. It was late June a year ago, and I had just gotten off the plane from a trip to Texas that was one of the most meaningful experiences in my life. I just said a final goodbye to a longtime friend I had met in the audio drama world, Bill Hallwig. Along with his daughter Bailey and a couple of his many friends, Lothar Tuppen, his wife Jan, and Jeffrey Billard, We wiped our tears and scattered his ashes at Cross Plains, Texas, the home of Robert E. Howard. Together, the four of us cemented a bond that has only deepened and expressed itself in new audio drama productions and a monthly podcast where we get to look at old-time radio and analyze it. 
And we talk, Jeff, Lothar, and I, at least through email, almost every day since that fateful weekend. I remember coming off the plane and into Halifax Airport and thinking very clearly, what now, Bill? I didn't want this connection to end. And, and that's when it hit me. Why not a way to have everyone come together? You know, the modern audio drama movement in its current blossoming mirrors the rise of podcasting. The Sonic Society for 15 years now has been blessed with almost 200 different companies and producers and closing on to a thousand different shows weekly and even multiple times a week. So with the help of many people, not the least my amigo brothers Lothar and Jeff, Brian Bocchicchio, Matt Leong, and so many more, and with the kind donations of our partners and my oldest childhood friend, Chris Morano, I'm so happy to announce that we can get together. All of us. And here's how. Come to Halifax, Nova Scotia, in July 24th to the 26th of 2020, and we'll have a ball. We've already booked the rooms, halls, and even a theater for a series of live performances on Saturday night. People you may have known for years will be there, and all new friends, creators and fans alike. Let's get together because there's never been anything like it. This is the world's first conference focused only on the modern audio drama movement. Mad-Con.com. That's M-A-D-C-O-N.com. The website is up. And reservations are ready for your place in history. Myself, David Alt, Austin Beach, Tanya Malevich, Lothar Tuppen, Matt Leong, Jeffrey Billard, John Bell, and so many more are going to be there. As we fill the ranks, we'll let you know who else is coming. A full weekend, July 24th to the 26th of 2020. Mad-Con.com. Get registered today. There never is another first time. Here's our time. Can't wait to see you there. I'm Jack Ward. Audio drama's been a part of my life now for almost 20 years. The people in it have given so very much to me. And now here's my chance to say thank you. That's why I'm going to mad-con.com and getting my ticket. See you in Halifax. See you in MadCon in 2020.